Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and uh, this is uh, a, a different kind of an episode. Um, I guess we're in uh, bonus summer holiday content kind of fashion here. Uh, this is a conversation that happened live on stage at the Cabana in Napier uh, in October of this year, and it's a conversation that involved me and Nick Bollinger, who's a previous guest of the podcast, and our chair for that conversation was uh, as a Hawke's Bay-based guy called Jamie McPhail. Uh, you'll hear all of us introduced on this, um, and uh, we were we were part of um, the Hawke's Bay, the Harcourt's Hawke's Bay Art Festival, and uh, the conversation was really around music criticism, music writing, and I guess a little bit the New Zealand music industry. Um, so you'll hear Jamie asking Nick and me questions about uh, who we are, and you know the table was kind of turned, who we are, and and why we do what we do, and. Um, Look, this was an intimate little um, chat. Uh, we didn't we didn't have microphones. We didn't uh, amplify it. We just sat on couches and talked to. Yeah, there was a decent audience there, but they sat close. And um, I, I took the recorder along, and I got the permission of the uh, the Hawke's Bay Art Festival board and all, all the people that are involved in the conversation to to record this and broadcast this at some point. I thought it would be a bit of fun, and um, and it was fun to listen back to it because I was just doing it live in the moment, um, just chatting away and nattering about the different things that I've done and um, and listening uh, when Nick was telling his stories and uh, there are some questions from the audience at the end. Uh, you might not get to hear so well the questions when they're asked uh, but Jamie tends to paraphrase and, and rephrase them so you'll get the gist of that. Um, so yeah if you're interested in this it's about an hour long chat um, and I'll, I'll include in the notes a link to when Nick was on the podcast uh, if you want if you missed that and you want more of his story. So um, yeah, this was, I think the show was billed as Backstage with Nick and Simon and uh, now you'll get to hear it if you if you weren't there at the time. This is me, Jamie McPhail and Nick Bollinger from the Cabana in Hawke's Bay at the 2018 Harcourt's Hawke's Bay Art Festival. Jamie, who is chairing today's event, is the curator of the Sitting Room Sessions, intimate live music events. He's a prevent presenter, not a preventer, that would be a bad idea, for Harcourt's Hawke's Bay Arts Festival, an avid reader and keen conversationalist. So considers an opportunity to natter with two of New Zealand's most prominent music writers to be hog heaven. Nick Bollinger is a writer, critic and broadcaster. He's been a writer for The Listener. His articles have appeared in Mojo and he presents the music review programme The Sampler for Radio New Zealand. He's the author of several books, including Gonville, which is on sale from Maldini Books tonight, over there on that barrel, for which he won the Adam Prize for Creative Writing in 2015. Simon Sweetman is a Wellington-based writer and interviewer. For the last three years, he's hosted a weekly interview show called Sweetman Podcast, talking to national and international guests about music and arts. He's written for the Sunday Papers, the Dominion Post and Stuff, and been, and stuff as in the website, not just and stuff. <laughs> and been published wild, widely beyond that. He's a regular music reviewer on RNZ's Afternoons with Jesse Mulligan and writes reviews, interviews and blog pieces at his own site, Off The Tracks. But for now, over to Jamie and enjoy your evening. Thank you, Louise. And to keep the housekeeping going, we don't have amplification. So if you can't hear us, we suggest you move forward um, because we're not going to have amplification, but we will 
project, won't we, gentlemen? <laughs> um, I'm also going to apologise. Murphy and I have a close relationship. Murphy's law is that the day the festival started, I came down with a hell of a cold. For the first two days of the festival, my nose was running constantly. For the second two days of the festival, I was coughing uncontrollably. Today is a combination of both. So I'm well drugged up, but if there are little slithers under there, please excuse me. Um, Honour to host these two gentlemen. My first question to both of you, really, is I understand you were both musicians before you began writing. Why choose to write about music rather than play music? Simon. Um, I don't think I've ever been called a musician, uh, <laughs> ever. Um, I, I always wanted to be a writer, and that's really what I have done. Um, I play drums, which isn't even a musical instrument, if you ask most people. And um, and, I, and I don't. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. One of the country's best drummers, right here. Um, I uh, yeah, I wouldn't call myself a musician, but but I guess uh, I have been on stages playing, and that gives you some sympathy for when you tear people apart in a review. Yep. Um, yeah, for me it was always about writing and listening to music, that's been the focus. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, when I think about it, I was a professional musician for a short time, <laughs> which I wrote about in, in Gonville, yeah. uh, before I was ever a professional writer. But probably, I, yeah, I, I would say I was a writer before I was a musician, actually. You know, circumstances led me down the path of playing music for a living, um, but actually, I think I started learning to write and figuring out what you did, what you could do with words, before I ever imagined myself actually getting up on stage and being a, a musician. Okay, um, I have prepared questions, but we've talked about this beforehand. We're not quite sure where this is going to lead us. Um, Nick, were you inspired specifically by a music writer or a writer generally in your youth? I used to pick up music magazines um, when I was quite young, you know, in the 60s, late 60s, when I was 10 or 11 years old. Uh, I used to get the Beatles Monthly. Okay. Uh, so that was, I was reading, writing about music, yep. you know. Um, I wasn't reading it. Uh, for its literary qualities, right. really. I was, you know, scouring it for information, but I think I wasn't... I, I never had music lessons, so I think a lot of my musical vocabulary came out of these things. You know, I'd, I'd read these things and I'd go, ah, a 12-bar riff. Okay, that's what that is. You know, and I'd yep. put this thing I read together with what I'd heard on these records that I was listening yep. to. Uh, so I think... Yeah, that sort of helped educate me, but it really, um, oh, you know, I'd read NME and Melody Maker yeah. and these things. In the, um, I must have been in my early teens, I suppose, when I, uh, our family used to get The Listener. Yes. Uh, and that was really the only regular New Zealand music writing I read. Were they writing about contemporary New Zealand music? Uh, someone called Moog, who I later learned was Arthur Basting, oh, really? the songwriter, used to write about, he used to do record reviews and he was succeeded by Gordon Campbell, yes. who I, I learned a huge amount about music, but about what you can actually, um, the context that produces music. You know, yep. he, he wrote so much about uh, 
you know, he would always place music in its cultural context. So it wasn't he wasn't just writing about a bunch of notes and voices and guitars. You know, he'd be writing about where these people came from and uh, what was going on culturally at the time that had actually produced this music. Uh, it was an eye opener. He was the first person I'd read who wrote long form music reviews. Right. So that was Gordon Campbell? Or Gordon that was Campbell. Arthur? That was Gordon Campbell. Right. Arthur's were probably a bit more straightforward record reviews. Gordon, yeah, I mean, I realise now, I mean, so, there was so little media available yeah. here, yeah. you know, I think he probably had some sort of hotline to the Village Voice or one of these. You know, Things exotic shipped to New Zealand, yeah, which yeah. very few people had access yeah. to, and there were people like Ellen Willis and Robert Criscow writing long-form yep. pieces about music there, and I know that will have inspired him. But to me, it was just a revelation that you could uh, that you could take music that seriously and still right. and still be entertaining, and within a whole cultural rather than yeah. necessarily a pop context yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simon, for you, were there? Yeah, well, I might not look it, but I'm a little bit younger than Nick. So, um, you know, there were a few more magazines more readily available when I was growing up. Uh, it was You didn't have to wait quite so long. Still had to wait a little bit for Mojo and, and the likes when they came around. But for me, it was Rolling Stone and Rip It Up and Real Groove and those sorts of things. But it was also um, a lot of fiction that was about music. I think I learned a lot about great music writing. Yep. Um, you know, Patrick Bateman's fake music reviews in American Psycho, written by Brett Easter Ellis, I think are exemplary forms yep. of actual geeky music writing, even though they're supposed to be kind of sending it up. Um, Nick Hornby, I don't really care about him at all, but I think uh, High Fidelity is amazing, you yes. know, and it really struck a chord, as it were, with me. And uh, I, I was just thinking, I've been pretty lucky. I mean, three of my music writing heroes are people that are still alive and that I've met. One of them sitting next to me, yeah. um, and uh, Gordon Campbell and, and Sylvie Simmons, who I read for years. Right. And I, I made a, a last-minute email when I was in America about four, four, five, six years ago thinking that I could maybe interview her at some stage and she wrote back and said oh, I'm in San Francisco um, actually which is where I was on holiday um, here's my number give me a call and two days later I was sitting having a cup of tea with her she was just finishing her famous and brilliant Leonard Cohen biography and was took a couple of hours out to talk to me a about a year later she ended up in New Zealand on a book tour for that and by a complete, I did an event with her, I spoke with her at an event, but the next day she ended up staying at our house because she, someone hadn't sorted her flights out. She needed a place to stay in Wellington and she said, oh, you know, they're not going to put me up in a hotel, can I just stay with you? No. So, yeah, I feel pretty pretty lucky to have, I mean, I can remember lines of nicks from the listener. Uh, you had a great line about um, a Sting record, about how he parades around jazz musicians like stuffed animals and I remember that <laughs> you probably don't but I do so yeah I, I learned a lot I think New Zealand has had some great music writers and um, and probably more the era that Nick comes from and, and, and started writing in is when we had some really really good music writers and uh, yeah they've, they've all meant a lot to me this kind of leads on from that and I had sent you the, an idea of some questions but can either of you remember a a line, other than quoting Mick mm. Bollinger, a line or a phrase from music writing that you've always kind of held on to? Oh. Um. 
I should be able to. <laughs> oh, well, we you did well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, look, there's heaps. Yeah, yeah. I used to, I used to um, write really bad poetry. In fact, I still write really bad poetry. But I used to write really bad poetry on a typewriter, and I used to type out song lyrics as well, yeah. and just just to practice typing. And uh, and so I used to type out quotes from musicians, and and I realise now that all of this sort of geeky diary keeping and typing things out was just preparing me for social media where I get to do that now yep. <laughs> yeah um, so yeah I, I, I used to keep a bunch of quotes and things above the desk and inspirations I, I, I'm going to draw a blank now too on a specific thing but you know uh, there's there's some very I, I, I like how um, I, I, this might not surprise people that know some of my work but I enjoy some of the really brutal nasty comments that have come up in reviews if they're if they're witty and if they're funny you know yep. like there's been some there's been some there's a famous uh, Charles Shah Murray who's one of the great music writers for me you know he reviewed Garageland uh, The Clash early on and this that he wrote a um, piece saying they should go back to the garage and preferably leave the car on <laughs> and uh, their response their response was to uh, write the song garage land that was oh, their really? response oh. to that which I, which I think is the best response to criticism to just come up with something that uh, doesn't deserve to be criticized so heavily and I presume that inspired the New Zealand band garage land's name I don't know but that song <laughs> oh, but mostly. do we know yeah, these things go know? around <laughs> do, do, I th thought it we had validation yes. it's a wonderful yeah, yeah. circularity yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. cool okay. yes yeah I mean Gordon Campbell used to have devastating lines I remember there was uh, a New Zealand band called Coup d'etat who did a um, it was actually a hit you know Doctor mm. I Like Your Medicine but he dismissed it as I think it was like um, lawnmower reggae for suburban, <laughs> you know, <laughs> listeners or something, you know. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, 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 the pithy yeah. one-liner is, you know, you, you have, sometimes it's hard to resist. Yeah. Um, I try and resist them. <laughs> you do a better job than me of resisting them, I think. <laughs> I'm interested in the process of with with becoming a, a, a journalist a writer was were you destined to be critics or were you writers who became critics or journalists well, who became critics I mean critics are well I, I I really dislike that silly story about um, no one ever erected a statue in honor of a critic it's first of all it's not true um, you know, T.S. Eliot was a critic, and I'm sure there's yep. a statue of him somewhere, and there are several statues of, of critics. But but I did want to become a critic or a, yep. review, or a reviewer or whatever you call it. I, I wanted to do that. I'm, in fact, I pulled out of journalism school because uh, about four weeks into it, they caught wind that I was writing reviews for New Zealand Musician, and they took me, and Capital Times, and they took me aside and said, you know, we don't want you to focus on reviews because we only cover them for one day in the course. And, um, you know, we think that's going to distract you. So I thought, oh, fuck it, I won't go. I'll just right. leave. And then I can distract myself. So I just distracted myself by playing pool and bars, listening to music. And uh, when the phone got disconnected for not paying the bill, it meant I had more time to listen to more music, no one to talk to. So that was sort of my education. And I was pretty, pretty... Um, stubborn about it you know yeah. I mean I got I eventually broke through and got a job for the evening post before it amalgamated with the Dominion and became the Dominion post I did did music writing for salient the student magazine in Victoria and as I say Capital Times um, I, I, I had a column called up and coming where once a month I would preview 
bands and it got really hard keeping up with bands so I just started making them up I would just think of a band name. Well, you know, if I could be in a band, what would I call it? And no, no one found out for ages until, until eventually someone rang the editor and um, said, oh, we're really, really interested in this band, Roach, that he's written about. I just asked my flatmates, or oh, the girls that lived upstairs who were stoners, what they would uh, call a band if they were in it. And they oh, Roach. And I was like, all right. So I made this whole story up about this band called Roach. And, this is going uh, one further than British. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. And... Uh, and uh, then the editor rang me and said, oh, we've had quite a bit of interest. You've talked about them doing a, a tour. And, uh, you know, we just want some, you know, this is sort of pre-online stuff. So we just want some clarification of dates. <laughs> so the next week, or the next, for the next month's column, I said, you know, they sadly broke up in the, in the, South, in the South Island due to, you know, musical differences. And it's a real shame. No one will ever get to hear the demo tape. I heard it and it was amazing. And, and so just killed them off. But anyway, I, I ended up, um, you know, I, I, I asked the evening post several times if I could review albums for them and gigs and things and I never got an answer and so I ended up just working out it was a generic email address and I picked the one person there who I thought might be in charge and I just wrote to him and said look everyone who writes music re reviews for you is garbage except for you you're really good you know <laughs> but everyone else is shit um, let me do some and <laughs> I didn't realize I had an email signature as I say early days of email and I had my number on it and so about two minutes later I got a phone call uh, well if you think you're hot shit come in and grab all these CDs that we don't want and so I got a pile of CDs and got told you've got one week to turn around 135 words only on on all of them and these were awful things yeah yeah nobody else wanted and I yeah. feel like uh, that's been my life ever since yeah there's been some small changes but. <laughs> it is amazing that the Evening Post were reviewing records yeah you think about it and they used yeah. to review heaps they had a yeah, whole page yeah. of them yeah once a week yeah yeah no I mean a lot of it is timing you know yeah. I mean I've been doing some I've had a Flatmate, who was the editor of Salient, yep. which was the student newspaper in Wellington, and this would have been in the oh, when was it? Early 80s, I suppose. And, and she would sometimes say, "Can you write some music reviews for us?" You know, okay. so I would yeah. do a few of those things. But I was at that point, I was very unfocused uh, in terms of pro professional life. Oh hell no, no I never no. have. I, okay. I was. Playing a bit of music, I was a postman, yep. uh, and that, you know, that left enough time to, to do a few other things. That, but um, that was the great occupation for New Zealand musicians. There were a lot of musicians there. There were yeah. there were uh, actors and poets and all sorts of people there. But what happened? I um, I was also doing some radio, uh, yep. just student radio. It was when Radioactive was still actually on the campus at, yep. at Victoria. And Charles Mavath, who was the station manager at the time, had been, I think, Gordon Campbell had seceded from the uh, rock column, got, gone yep. on to doing political stuff for the listener, and it had gone through a succession of other yep. people. Um, and Charles Mavath was doing it at the time. And he said to me, look, I'm leaving this. You should get a portfolio of things you've written together and go and show them to this guy, uh, Alexander Fry, I think, at the time. So what year are we talking? 1987 or wow. 88, okay. something like that, late 80s. Uh, so, oh, okay, you know, so I did. And um, 
remarkably, you know, I was able to take over this so fortnightly, career fortnightly column. Wow. It was almost that long, yeah. yeah. Because you're still doing it? No, no. no I've okay. stopped about oh, two years ago. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. These days, you know, I, most of my actual writing at the moment is for the Radio New Zealand website. Right. Yeah, yes. Um, but actually most of my writing is scripts for radio. Okay. Uh, yeah. For other people. For no, for me. Okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but but I, there is quite a difference I've found between writing some a review that you're going to present uh, in a program with you know with little bits of music and yes. it's actually a an organised um, audio piece. It's quite different. You write differently than you'd write for something that people were going to read in a magazine. Right. I think. And on RNZ, they do, they print what you've said. Not exactly. Oh, really? No, okay. I will okay. write something, it'll be a version of it, okay. but something that I think uh, is a bit more succinct, a bit yep. more compressed. You just write a lot more loosely, I think, if you're writing for spoken yes. voice somehow. It, it's, um, anyway, that's So that's a little quick question. <laughs> the words critic and reviewer, I yeah. mean... Do you consider yourselves to be critics or reviewers, or the words interchangeable? I, I think there is a difference. There is a difference. Um, I think uh, a lot of what I do for the radio, I would term reviewing. Yep. More. Um, there's always a critical element to it, but I realised after I've been broadcasting for a little while that you actually and. You don't really want to spend too much time uh, playing music that you've that you don't like for some reason that you don't connect with or uh, think is a failure because you're just polluting the airwaves. You're just playing people's stuff that you know they'd be better off not hearing if you really feel yep. that strongly about it. I think it's different in print. I think you can write really entertainingly and almost. You know, it's a kind of cautionary writing. Yep. <laughs> they don't have to hear it, you know. Right. Um, but it makes much better radio if you're actually focusing on those things that you can really muster some enthusiasm for. Which you would consider reviewing. And so gen maybe I'd call that reviewing rather than... I think broadly it's criticism, but yep. it's, it's criticism with a sort of... Um, yeah, probably a more positive... Yep. bent than yep. you would necessarily bring to, you know, yep. I'm just thinking back to things I used to write for the listener and I, I, then I think I probably would more often um, than I do now choose something that I I think it was a failure for some reason uh, and explain why. Yep. So would you refer to yourself as a reviewer or a critic? Uh, no, I'm a troll. Um, troll. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a blogger and a troll, you know, that's what people say. Um, no, I, I, uh, I used to be a bit intimidated by the term critic, I suppose, so I called myself a reviewer, if I, if I did. Uh, then I quite embraced the idea of being a critic. I don't know, I've always referred to myself as a writer, because I think right. that's what yeah. I do, because, yep. you, know, I, you know, I wrote a blog for years that was never a review, but people would say, oh, I read your review of... Fat Freddy's Drop or whatever yep. it was when actually it was a blog which I think is a is a brain dump you know it's not necessarily it doesn't need to be fact checked and it doesn't necessarily need to be 
a considered or vitriolic opinion. It's just a brain dump for the day, but people decided that was a review. So, yeah, I've just, I've just always really called myself a, a writer. The thing is, I think the rise of blogging coincided with the decline of print criticism, you know, of, of, of actual paid criticism. Like there are, I'm sorry. God knows how many critics <laughs> there, there would be now that actually get paid to write yeah. criticism, but yeah. very few. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, well, I, no, I don't, you don't need to apologise. I don't think it's <laughs> you don't do it. It's not I mean, fault, but It leads to an interesting thing, which is that the, you know, both of you began in print, mm. and now Simon, I see you mainly on Facebook, and I link through to your blog, and I listen to your podcasts. Nick, I hear you on RNZ, and I read you on the RNZ website. Yes. Um, other than reading Gonville. I haven't seen either of you in print in some time. How relevant is print to you guys? Not really. Are you reading much? Yeah, yeah. Look, look. I'm a big book reader, and I, you know, and I love books, and uh, and you know, I, I, I still like some magazines, but. Writing is writing, and I think you know the the lofty sort of idea that someone has to be chosen to be published is is a little bit garbage now. I think some of the best writers I read are, are people writing things on their Facebook page or their personal blogs that they are never going to get published as such, or people that have arguably vanity published that used to be a dirty term, and yep. and it's not so much now. Uh, you know, in some ways those that that sort of traditional framework falling down a little bit has been quite good and quite encouraging you know I used to get I'm sure Nick's had this a lot I used to get people ask me how you got into music writing and how, how someone might I did a few lectures at the university over the years and things like that and you know it's never been easier to get into it will you get paid no will you get a following fuck I don't know but you can go and do it you, you can write, start yeah. straight after this you can yeah. go and put something out into the world that's pretty cool I had to wait years to try and do it you know I agree that there is great stuff that comes out of that mm. uh, but you have how to find it is, oh. is almost I mean for sure it, it I mean I, I actually I do feel spoiled because I started Basically, I started writing and started getting paid, you know. When, um, but not only that, I had wonderful editors and sub-editors. I mean, at the listener, you know, I think back, you know, I had, um, you know, New Zealand's kind of literati editing my copy, you know. Uh, You'd have Robin Dudding or Tom McWilliams or uh, Kevin Ireland subbing your your work. And you would learn so much from what just the little tweaks they would make to your copy, what would end up in print compared to the sort of the rough stuff that I would submit to them. Um, That was educative for me, but I mean, also, there was... um, for the for the reader, for the person who buys the magazine, you know, you you you've got this guarantee of some sort of quality, um, and well, it does still exist in some places. I mean, the, the listener is is still there, but uh, there's not a lot of it now, and I'd be very disappointed if people were, you know, only getting I, their stuff from Facebook. Yeah, yeah, pages. sure. Oh no, I mean, I agree with your point too about the having a great editor or you know I've written a lot of stuff for myself uh, I guess 
uh, lately, and uh, and I enjoy doing that, and I have people that read it and like it. But yeah, you know, I get to publish what I want. And just recently, like a few months ago, I wrote a book review for the spin-off, and I had to submit yep. it to Steve Braunius. And I was shitting myself. You know, I was really worried. Like, because Steve was going to edit it. Steve's going to edit it. Yep. Now, I've seen Steve actually publish reviews and then write a post postscript underneath longer than the review, saying that the review was garbage. <laughs> and uh, so I was mm. fucking bricking it, you know, going, shit. Like, because he sent me a reply going, thanks, got it, I'll get back to you. And I was like, okay, when? When? And it was great to feel like that, you know. Right, yeah. Look, he didn't change a word as the boastful nice. thing I get to say at the end. And he wrote, eventually wrote to me and said, I, it was clean copy, I didn't change a thing. But having two weeks of going, fuck, I don't think he's even going to run this, was really, <laughs> was really, really good for me. Yeah. 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 Are you edited on RNZ? Is that... Uh, <laughs> no, not really. I mean, we... I mean, no, nothing like... Print what we had, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're editing each other's stuff. It's it's under resourced and I think overstretched. Right. I would say it's also a race now. The idea, pretty much, for anyone like stuff has been like this for a long time. I'm sure RNZ is like this in some way, mm. uh, and I don't mean this as a, as a because as a, I think RNZ, you know, broadcasts and publishes great stuff. But it's a race to be first, and so the the idea is mm. get it up and then fix it afterwards. Even sometimes someone will point out there's a mistake. Oh, cool, we'll fix that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that that race to be first has actually uh, lowered the quality of criticism. Totally. I mean, because the best critical writing is stuff that people have had time to think about, time to ruminate on. Is that a reality for both of you when you when you get a new release? Are you do you feel push to review it quickly? Not anymore. I mean, it's all changed. You know, like, the the Nick will remember this better than me, but it used to be a, a, some sort of weird... For people who care about music, which I would hope is uh, some of the people here listening, um, you know, you, you got something early. You were actually among... It felt like you were among the first oh, yeah. to hear it. Yep. Yeah. I do a lot of reviewing now by going to Spotify on a Friday morning and right. seeing what's been released. I'm hearing it after, at the same time as heaps of people yep. went after loads yeah. of people. Yeah. So I don't feel the pressure to review a new album straight away because right. I'm never going to be, you know, first. first I'm yeah. never going to have something to say that people can already listen to the stuff before and mm. people actually will listen to the stuff <laughs> then maybe go and find a review afterwards. Yep. It, it's, it's completely reversed the process. So. You know, I, I uh, am addicted to this stuff, so I was here earlier this afternoon. My wife fell asleep in the hotel room, and I turned on my computer and wrote a review. And I wrote a review of an album, that, and I looked at the album information as I was finishing writing the review. I thought, when did that come out? It came out in November last year. Right. So yeah. I am not very current with that, but I don't care because right. I have reviewed an album that I really like that I know not a lot of people in New Zealand will mm. have featured anywhere yep. and people can get you know so I don't think that matters I think it, it's the it's the blockbuster things that you want to be timely with because the conversation mm. is with those is going to come up immediately you know if it's sure. the, if it's you know Kanye West or Beyonce or something um, if you want to be part of that discussion yeah. you've got to be it's, talking about it's it the now day, or never the, yeah. now yeah. or yeah. never yeah. I don't you know and I do I suppose you know I was thinking about the thing of um writing mostly about things that I can enthuse about yep. uh, because I think that makes better radio uh, the exception might be things like a, yeah, a, a Kanye, Kanye album because yeah. I you know I, the, I give them serious listening and I've got a few 
perspectives that might be different from other people. So, um, but yeah, other things that I've discovered, you know, in other ways I think my reviews are a catalogue of my own discoveries and right. some of them might be, as Simon says, you know, they might be, be things from last year or or even from the yeah, very I, distant past, I've sort of just last decided, century. You know. I've just decided recently, the last couple of years, that in terms of writing a, a record review, one year is an acceptable time frame okay. for me. I'm not going to go and write an actual review in the style of a review of an album that's five years old that I've only just heard. Well, that's what Marty Duda started reviewing 30-year-old albums. Right, basically. right. Yeah, I think that's when he stopped listening to music. Actually. <laughs> um, so, you know, that would make sense. Boo! <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, that's... But you can do other types... That's why I say writer rather than reviewer. You can yep. do other types. I have a blog that I've been doing for years that's part of my site called The Vinyl Countdown where I'm reviewing my own record yep. collection. Yep. And I might review a re record... And I'm really talking about... <laughs> why I own it. I'm not even really talking about the music. Right. But there are no rules. Sometimes I'm doing a detailed piece about the music within the record. Sometimes I'm telling a story about the second-hand store I went to where I yep. got the record. Yeah. Uh, this is just music junkie stuff for people, and they and it's opt-in. If they don't like it, they don't have to read it. You know, yeah. like That's the beauty of... You know, I spent years filing copy for papers of gig reviews, you know, gig reviews of gigs I didn't really want to be at sometimes. Yep. And you, you had to kiss a lot of frogs to one day say that you got to see Prince, right. you know, yeah. so yeah Nick, I Simon actually alluded to one earlier, but I can't remember reading a harsh criticism oh, by really? you <laughs> um, and maybe that's just because my memory is getting shorter and shorter, but do you, what's the last thing you gave a really harsh criticism oh, of? Well, harsh, I mean is a, a sort of <laughs> You know, I mean, it's Simon is is he, he loves the uh, the pithy put down. You know, and he's a master of it. You know, I I suppose the shortest review I ever wrote was a in the probably the early '90s a David Crosby album. Uh, this was not he. You know, was a bit off the boil at the time. The title of the album was Oh Yes I Can. <laughs> that was a review. I thought they'd just about written a review for me. So I, I, you know, sometimes you can't resist them, but yeah, that, that to me that, that just doesn't appeal right. that and much. And you covered that know. quite nicely with that dif distinction between review and critic. So that on radio, with what you're doing on radio, yeah. particularly, yeah. you're going to be reviewing stuff that you are relating to anyway, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly written. You know about music that has disappointed me. I mean, I yep. think the thing is, look, if you're going to be a, a, a critic of any kind, you have to be passionate about the form yep. that you're yep. cri critiquing. Um, it's the only reason to do it. And I think people who criticise critics, people who say, "Oh, you're just someone with an opinion," this is what they miss: is actually you care about that music, probably. Um, as much as anybody does, Absolutely. you know. Yeah. Uh, that's the only reason you would be doing yeah. it. Yeah. Nick wrote a savage review of Dean Chandler. It was so bad, Dean gave up music, and now he's a carpet layer. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, he's making... I remember it, because I used to work... But, but, you know, he's probably making more money, so maybe you I did him a favour, but yeah, you, you but destroyed yeah. him. Wow. And Dean did a pretty good album, I thought, and he got international guests on it, and Nick said, no, this is garbage, he fuck this, this Harris is shit. He had Nora even. Jones, he had, uh, you know, and you just killed him. Good on you. There we go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
brutal. Simon, you've <laughs> probably received more publicity for a couple of particular negative reviews mm. than for a positive thing. Um, I don't know if you're all aware of it, but Simon famously um, hammered Robbie Williams after a concert in Wellington with a review that said he was a ham-fisted hack and showed just how far you can take karaoke if you've got the cheekbones. <laughs> the two nights later in Auckland, on stage at whichever arena with a full audience, Robbie Williams went into a rant about Simon Sweetman and actually dedicated a poem of rage to Simon Sweetman. And then, and a few of us I know got a wee bit embroiled with a certain discussion around a certain woman who's performed at a certain sitting room session called Aldous Harding, um, where Simon's review, and I reread it again today, it was about four lines long, but it basically ended with all it really made me think of was this and a link to a YouTube video of goats sounding like humans. Um, and that hey, I, was just, I was just kidding. <laughs> so, did you do those deliberately and provocatively? I'm really, really, I mean, it sounds like a fucking wanker here, but I'm really proud of the review I wrote of Robbie Williams because it was a good piece of writing on deadline. Yep. I wrote it in 10 minutes and I destroyed him and he deserved it. Yep. And, you know, if you're going to quote me, you've got to remember the line where I said, you know, when he attempted um, Bohemian Rhapsody, it was like someone drawing a smile on the Mona Lisa with crayon. You know, uh, he was awful that night. And uh, and I've listened to more Robbie Williams than probably anyone in this room, unless they're part of the fan club. Because you know, I worked in music retail for a long time, as well as working as a critic. So I've listened to most of Robbie's albums. Um, that got pretty messy. You know, he tweeted a photo of me holding my son, who was yeah. five months old at the time. Uh, and said Simon Sweetman, baby eater, and so we had like international media, thank you, um, ringing the uh, ringing the house and, and emailing and wanting comment and lots of national media. So it got pretty nasty. And the whole story is in Robbie Williams's memoir that yeah. came out last year, his second memoir um, that's ghost written. But um, the person, so the person, you know, writes as Robbie, but then detaches and actually writes as themselves, and and tells the whole story, including Robbie Williams actually sent me an apology, and an email, and which I didn't share with the world because I didn't think he deserved to get off the hook, frankly. Um, but that's in there, and I, you know, I come across like a, a grumpy, angry man in that because, uh, uh, I, you know, they asked if I got the. Apology, and I yep. just wrote back and said, "Yes, I got it. Thanks." And so they managed to turn that in the book to like, you know, like I've got some feud with him. So right. I don't. I just got sent along to review a show, yeah. and I just wrote what I thought of it. And you know, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with that one. I think I did a really good job. Yep. Yeah. With Aldous Harding, uh, you know, that's a non-review. It's it's it's. I did that for myself. I did that for my website. No one pays me to do that <clears throat> yep. stuff. Uh, it's a bit of fun. Yep. And uh, it's just, it was an interesting study to me and how precious people are about things that are perceived cool because I did a review of James Reed from The Feelers. Mm -hmm. He did a solo album, which is also garbage. And I didn't even put words. I just embedded a YouTube clip of a horse rolling over and farting for 40 <laughs> seconds. Now, no one, you no know, one tumbleweeds. Oh, actually, James Reed's wife emailed me, probably drunk one night, saying, you're playing with people's lives here. And I said... Yeah, sorry about that. He should get better at music, you know, and uh, and that was that. But you know, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. Suddenly, the spin-off publishes a whole Facebook feed yeah. without blanking out anyone's names or asking for permission, commenting on an Aldous Harding review because apparently she's cool. I went to an Aldous Harding gig and I actually went up to the person at the door doing the tickets about three songs in, and I said, "Is she usually like this?" 
and she said, because I wanted to like it, because you know I'd heard a lot of good things, and I wanted to like it, and there was some really nice playing from the band that night, but I just couldn't believe it was real. And I said, and she goes, what do you mean is she usually like this? And I said, well, is she having a palsy or something? Like, you know, like I just couldn't. And so when the album came out, well, I got the album early. They sent the album to me, that one they sent early. And I actually listened to it heaps. And then and I, there's that timing thing. I did wait until the album was released and I'd, I did that clip. Now, I just write a website for myself yep. and whoever finds it and reads it. I didn't expect it to blow up into anything. Right. Uh, as I say, it's a, it's a non-review. It's an anti-review. It's me saying I've got no confidence in this music. I don't want to make a comment on it. Right. I could. You know, I did a really... Con- that was I did- comment. Well, exactly. I did, a really, I did a really considered long piece about Lord, who I also yep. think is garbage. Yep. But, um, you know, I actually did put some time and thought into that yep. and I did get some people saying... Don't agree with you at all, but good on you. Yes. You know, you've actually... Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they don't make the rules. I do. Like, I can write what I like. It's my side. I don't get paid. That's yep. how I see it. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, now that makes it difficult for me to choose which <laughs> questions to go to. Um, actually, with five minutes to go, um, perhaps the best question is... I want to I want a quick look at the music industry in New Zealand. I mean, I see it as being in a really exciting place that we've got young musicians who seem to be making pretty good careers, not a hell of a lot of them, but an overview of the New Zealand music scene? In five minutes. Go for it. <laughs> well, you've got two and a half. No, uh, you, you yeah. can have all five. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there are more people uh, making a more professional music I think than, than ever probably yep. and, uh, and we haven't got time to go into the, all the reasons why but um, you know I, there's so much um, av- available now in terms of uh, access to just you know music education and yep. stuff so anyway there's, this, uh, th- there's a lot of music happening uh, it's admirable I'm not sure how people are um, supporting themselves to do that because that seems to be harder than ever I think um, yeah you know but it's I think it's it's almost sort of balkanised now too you you know you can choose your genre I I think it's a different thing if you wanted to well I don't know that there are pop stars in the way they used mm. to be even. Um. One, one thing I would say that I think is really important and encouraging, I've been doing this podcast for three years, I've done 140 episodes talking mostly to musicians but artistic people, one thing I've noticed that's really important is there's no real stigma anymore around the day job and there used to be. I think in the early 2000s when music, mm. when I got really engaged with music writing and music retail and you had your Beck Rungers and Shafus and yep. things like that. You know, people was, who were being supported by major being, labels. Exactly, so there was exactly. quite an investment. Yes, that's right. It. And so it was, it was, yes there was, and it was embarrassing if they worked a job on the side or they didn't talk about it. Now because that model's disappeared, yes. people are quite happy to say, look I work, you know, maybe two jobs, three jobs and I somehow do this on the side out of my bedroom or... I pick up work when I need to, and I just find that really encouraging that people are open to talking about that. Yep. You know, that's that's a good thing. But yeah, obviously that framework of major support has disappeared. But it, 
I, I always tell people like the best thing to do to be a creative person is have a job and do, do, your, do your passion as your hobby mm. because then you don't owe anyone anything and you're not on a deadline you just do it when you want to and if it fails you either don't have to tell anyone about it or you, you get up and you make bank you know like yeah. and then if it succeeds you're even more of a hero perhaps like it's really good yeah okay well the Q, we'll go to the Q&A in just one moment but I just is there anybody at the moment that you can let us in on anybody that you've become aware of recently either in New Zealand or internationally that you are really excited about as an emerging artist a little insider's tip well I would say if anyone's going to go and see John Prine when he's out here next year uh, his support act is a guy called Tyler Childers who's absolutely wonderful Um, is he Australian? No, no, he's he's from Kentucky. He's right. the, he's absolutely the the. I mean, he'd be only in his mid twenties though, but he's, uh, you know, he basically comes from the same hills as that produced the Carter family and the real Appalachians, Hank Williams, yeah. you know. Uh, but he's of this century, yep. and it's extraordinary. Tyler Childers, you heard he, it. He'll be opening for yeah, John Prime, Prime. yeah. Simon? No, I don't really have any any huge tips. I, I am really interested in, and I think he's he, they are playing here next week, so it can be a plug for the cabana, but um, Avondale Bowling Club, which is yep. Tom Scott's new project, yes. not not Tom Scott, the cartoonist and writer, but Tom Scott from Homebrew and At Peace mm. and the Young, Gifted and Broke Collective. He's a real talent, and but the Avon, and I've always liked his stuff, but the Avondale Bowling Club album is particularly special it's it's really an amount and it's been out for a few weeks you can hear it if you haven't already and you should come along and see it here next week he is uh, two weeks time two weeks sorry he is uh, he is uh, doing something really special with um, jazz musicians jazz, really. yeah, with yeah. Ja- I was going to say melding hip hop and jazz which is yeah. usually a bit of a red flag for people who like either yeah, but, this but not this time right yeah, no, I, yeah. I totally agree with you Simon it's beautiful stuff yeah, I mean, it's very really personal yes uh, Autobiographical, yeah. but he, yeah, this guy's singing his diary with the best jazz musicians in the country. Yeah, basically. yeah, but he, he, the amazing thing is he's keeping up with you know he's elevated his form of rhyming to a mm. kind of jazz. I mean, yes. it, it's it's yes. virtuoso. Uh, yeah. Rapping. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's so, like he's like when you go and watch an amazing DJ and you finally recognise, oh, he's not just pressing play, he is a musician. You know, it's he's doing yeah, that with yeah. rap, you know, he is like an improvisational musician with yeah. his voice. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's throw it open. Who's got a question for us? <laughs> no one goes first. That's the rule. Oh, well that rapping thing. What's with um, your take on rap? Yeah. And Obviously, the youngsters, yeah, yeah, 15 yeah. to 20 year olds, it's, it's all that's in their life, yes. Old music and the guy that's coming from Brian and things like that. Yeah, what's your take on rap? Would you have <laughs> a new rap, Nick? Or? I, I, I do, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and it's very, it is very hard to keep up. I mean, I was sort of touching on it before about the sort of balkanization of pop, popular music, you know. Um, there was a time, you know, when I first started reviewing records where I thought I could pretty much keep up with everything, you know, everything that was sort of broadly in the popular um, area. And now I feel a bit silly writing about rap just because there's so much I know I'm not hearing. Um, But there are particular artists that I make a point of, of keeping up with, and I do get introduced to a few other things, sometimes by my children. 
So I do dive into that sometimes. I like it, you know. I do I I do hear it as being in a continuum um, with you know the African American music that I liked back when I was a kid, you know, when I was hearing um, James Brown or um, The Temptations or any of that stuff, you know, it's definitely grown out of that. Mm. So uh, connecting new music to, to old things that you know and putting it in some sort of context, I think that helps helps one to keep up, stops one from becoming sort of ossified in a, in a particular yeah, era. Yeah, it's, it is really hard to keep up. I, I was, a, you know, when I started writing for The Dominion, I was actually kind of their hip-hop specialist, if you want, which uh, would be fitting of Wellington to have a, you know, geeky white guy cover <laughs> black music. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I was really invested in it and really into it, and I just haven't been able to keep up. I've, mm. I've, 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 if I'm honest, I've really lost my passion with hip-hop, and I, there are, I've got old favourites that I go to, but in terms of really keeping up... And so that's part of the reason I got very excited about this Avant-Dale Bowling Club, because it really is... To me, every few months, I get a real... Something, you know really hits me and it's an injection and I start going back to old hip-hop and looking for new equivalents to the thing that I like. But writing about it, I'm pretty choosy these days. It has to be something that I feel comfortable discussing because, you know, you don't you don't get to do uh, horse farting and um, goat videos with the hip-hop crews because uh, they come find you. So, you know, you don't make jokes about them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, some other questions. Yeah, Nick. Right. I was just going to ask you, what was your thoughts on like the Flying Nun era, kind of the, um, you know, the Dunedin sound? The Dunedin sound. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, yeah. <laughs> talking about harsh reviews, I, yeah. one of my early reviews for the listener was of a Bats album, and I did say the Bats have one guitar part, one rhythm, and it goes jing, 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 jigga, jing, 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 <laughs> and I got a a nice but disappointed letter from um, Bob Scott, the leader of the Bats, um, saying, I don't mind what you said in the review, but you got the title of that album wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, yeah. So that was a bit salutary. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, with... Reviewing New Zealand music, I mean, this is another big subject that we could talk about all night, but uh, we hear everything that comes out in New Zealand. You know, it's being made on your doorstep. Um, Flying Nun was embraced overseas, but really they were hearing the cream of it. They were hearing the stuff that actually travelled. You know, there were a lot of dodgy Flying Nun releases that didn't grow legs, that, you know, that died on, on the reviewer's doorstep. So... Uh, I think you have to be a bit careful. I mean, a, a lot of stuff I just... If I think, look, I'd be doing these people a favour by not reviewing them, often I, I just leave it there. <laughs> OK. Tony. Yeah. Um, so you, you both published books and you alluded to Sylvie Simmons and how she's done that great biography of Lenny Cohen. If you were to choose one New Zealand artist that you could write a book about, <coughs> who would it be? Oh, good question. So the question was, what one New Zealand artist might you choose to write a book about? You look the song, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's more of a brochure, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think the, um, the New Zealand artist who's... <laughs> I'm surprised that there isn't 
a biography of is Dave Dobbin. I think there's a, such a huge career there to look at and an interesting story and an unusual person. Um, I don't know that I'd be the person to write it, but someone should. Well, I'll jump in there. I actually pitched to Dave Dobbin a few years ago to write his book, um, and I'm obviously not the person to do it because he turned me down. Um, he, he, I, I've got a good relationship with Dave, a really good relationship with his manager. I, I don't think at the time I was capable, when I say a few years ago, it was about 10, and I don't think I was capable of doing it, but I wanted to, to try and have that conversation. The... I've, I've since gone back to them more recently and I do feel that I could do it now. I really do feel that. And the response both times has been, Dave's flattered by your pitch, he's honoured. Uh, he doesn't feel he's ready to talk about his life just yet. Dave's a complex character. I wanted to talk to him for, Nick and I were talking about this when we met earlier today before this. Dave's got a lot of baggage in his life and I think most people that know anything about Dave Dobbin know that and that's what makes him an interesting biography subject. He hmm. is one of the great talents in New Zealand music but he's gone through phases, he's been iconic, he's had uh, public stumbles, he's had uh, you know, interesting stories with addiction and getting over it and he, he's a cultural story that intersects in many you know, parts within New Zealand history. And I think he's got to wrestle with that himself. I also believe that Dave is the sort of person that might actually write his own book. Yeah, uh, he's a writer. He takes writing seriously. When he takes eight years off between albums, it's because he goes up to his beach house and spends time working on songs, and he treats them like pieces of writing. Um, I'm still involved in the conversation with them. I've, I've had them sort of say that they'll come to me and talk to me at some point. <coughs> Maybe that'll happen, and I don't, I don't know. I, I actually feel, I personally feel like he actually missed his window. I think it should have happened somewhere between when I pitched it and now, you know, like five years ago or so. I wonder if his relevancy is slightly lost and the book publishing's hard. Um, I'm gonna write a book about Phil Judd. I'm gonna do it, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and I've spent most of it, and he's a local lad, as you probably all know, so see me afterwards if you have any stories about him, because um, I'm starting to gather them. I've spent most of this year waiting and waiting and waiting to get his permission. I met Phil last year and I've interviewed him a couple of times on the phone and I've spent 10 years building a relationship with him. And he's a tricky subject and I'm really looking forward to trying to do it. And again, I don't know if I can do it, but I really believe I'm the right person. I believe I'm going to get access to him that no one else is going to get. And, uh, and, he's, and he's given me his blessing and he said he trusts me, which is pretty big. And so... I guess this is me announcing that. <laughs> so now I've, got to, now I've got to go and fucking do it. <laughs> I got another question too. Um, I mean, you're reviewing, maybe not so much now, but in the past it, it did rely on the large S and the record companies, didn't it, providing the product. Mm. And, you know, writing for New Zealand musicians, say, did you ever get the feeling that you had to review Kiwi music positively because it came from New Zealand? It was one of the questions I was going to ask. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they pretty much used to say that, and then they, they relaxed their policy on it a bit. I remember sending a couple of albums back to them and just saying, I can't write what you want me to write about this. And then I moved out of reviewing for them for a while, cause, uh, after a, a, a short while, because I just didn't see the point. I wasn't going to say things were good when they weren't. But it does come back to that thing that I was saying earlier about New Zealand music, is that, I mean, music from overseas we would get stuff from the record companies that had been through a whole lot of filters before it got to us as, mm -hmm. as critics. So we didn't necessarily like it all, but it, it had been 
A&R'd, if you like, you know, mm-hmm. the artists and repertoire departments of record companies had made sure that this product was going to hopefully fit somebody's taste. It was, you know, it was pretty slick stuff. New Zealand stuff, you just hear it all. You know, people would be sending their cassettes and, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, home recordings and things. So um, it's it's a bit hard to compare them. It, it, it's not a level playing field, no, and you have no. to make those concessions. Uh, you could either choose to just, as I often did, to, to just not review the really amateur stuff because That's you, pretty much what you'd do. be doing them a favour yeah. by, by not doing it. Yeah, I, I, you know, you mentioned this before. I used to think, like... I could be across everything, so I would actually try and review everything that came. You know, and I started mm. getting lots of stuff sent directly to the house that I never asked for, <laughs> and you know, and never wanted, and you mm. know, letter bombs basically is how I saw them, <laughs> and uh, and you know, but but weirdly, if you didn't write about them, that's when it blew up in your face, you know, like so, yeah, and I still get them occasionally, and I've got to say, and I can't think of anything offhand, but. Man, some of the best music I've ever heard is stuff I never asked for and in theory never wanted, yep. you know, and yep. that, and I guess that's what probably has kept us doing it, is that you get blown away by something yeah, a day what, earlier yeah. you didn't know about it, that's and then it's you changed your world, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, not the ones that you're, you're expecting, that you know. Mm. That, Just that, the same for the consumer. That's it? right, yeah, and yeah. often we hear about it thanks to you guys, because we might not have heard about it otherwise. Mm. So mm. yeah. More questions? Um, how important are live gigs to maybe keep you fresh or um, as a reviewer jaded, or jaded, jaded uh, reviewing albums or recorded oh. material that comes in I, I'm wondering if, if there's any passion for you guys to go to a live gig yeah. I actually found the opposite I would say that live gigs I, I was a live gig reviewer for many years and I still do review gigs and I'm still a nutter on Wednesday I drove up to Palmerston to see a show and drove back straight afterwards because I couldn't see it on Thursday because I was driving up here So, uh, and that was Steve Gadd with the Roger Fox big band mm. and, Jay, and James Carter and I just did that for myself because I'm, I like that stuff uh, but I, you know arts festivals Working for the art, uh, reviewing the arts festival in Wellington every two years in the heyday of newspapers, you might go to two shows a night for 15 days, and it's the weirdest complaint in the world to say, I am sick of all these free tickets to all these amazing shows by these international artists. You will not get a sympathetic ear, you know. So, but I remember a guy looking at me, a guy I worked with looking at me at the arts festival one year, and he could just see my face, and he was like, you need a break. This review is not going to go well, is it? The show hadn't started. And it was those two jerks from that movie Once, you know, then and, 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 and there's a whole cottage at the dude from the frames. And it was fucking dreadful, but everyone loved them. And I was just like, this is the wrong last night for me. So I've actually found recorded music to be a nice balm to go back to after that. I mean, it's always the constant, but, yeah, I actually yeah get burnt out by going to too many shows. It's a very different thing, d- different disciplines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, admire you being able to turn those reviews around so quickly because that's the thing with a live show. It's not like a, a record that you live with for a while mm. until you've got something to say about it. A live show only happens once. You're only going to hear it once, and uh, you've got to report on your responses. So, to, yeah, I, I actually I did some this year for for radio, um, reviewed some shows from the festival, mm. but. I haven't done an awful lot of that over the years. I quite enjoyed it just as a oh, change. Yeah. Oh, no, don't get me wrong, it's great. I mean, I've seen, some of, I've seen most of my musical heroes in one way or another. I've also had my mind blown by things that, as I said, I didn't know about two minutes before I walked in the door. I've had 
artists that I was really looking forward to and imagined was going to be amazing, be really underwhelming. I've had things that I've gone along to thinking this will be garbage, be mind blowing. It's it's brilliant, and I do love it, and I, I still love it. I think there's two. It, the, the rules there are it's okay to write about something if you anything if you get paid for it and it's okay to write about something anything if you want to be there and you love it you know you, anything is okay to, you know you're allowed to do a thing you don't want to do if you get paid for it and you're allowed to do whatever you want to do if you like it you know without getting paid but you shouldn't have to go along too many times to something you don't want to see and not be paid for it that's just <laughs> stupid you know why would you inflict that on yourself I had a good quote which I think is opposite here actually um, from some of you probably know Greg O'Brien the art critic one of our greats but he said something that resonated with me um, he's talking about books and, and visual arts but I mean the same thing applies to music he says um, he said I don't have the inclination to deal with art that doesn't engage me um, fails to alter my world in some way to put it another way as far as I'm concerned, criticism is an act of conviction rather than willpower. <laughs> an act of conviction rather than willpower, nice. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I think I believe that. Mm. Okay, have we got a last question? So, one of the things, I, I, I got halfway through my question, so I hope, we've, I hope this has been entertaining, but the one thing that I did want to ask, because everybody loves a good rock and roll story, is have you got a sort of grubby background <laughs> rock and roll story that you can tell about a bad interview with Lady Gaga walking out on you? Or We've heard Simon's <laughs> grubby yeah. stories. Yeah. You've heard mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I don't have those sort of. I mean, <coughs> no, I. I occasionally I, I do pinch myself, and, mm. and I mean, it, it, no, no, mine are positive really. I was watching. Um, uh, Mavis Staples from the side of the stage, one of the, you know, yeah. uh, this was at WOMAD maybe eight years ago, yeah, ten years ago. Um, and one of the advantages of having a, you know, an all areas pass, I could actually stand at the side of the yeah. stage and watch Mavis. And after a few minutes, I, I was just totally lost in this music and realised that some other people were around had come and were also watching the show at the side of the stage and I looked around it was Sharon Jones and the <laughs> Dap Kings and they'd all come to watch and they were all dancing and pretending to be Mavis's backing singers and I was just How in the middle cool of them that? so yeah. to me that's you know that's rock and roll heaven absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. yeah I've I got to say I'm not a um, as a rule I'm not a big fan of being backstage that's not my job it's fine if you like, and I'm not saying that because Nick just said he had an access to all areas, he's at WOMAD as a radio person That's yeah. that, when, when it's part of the job, that's fine but, mm. you know, I, I've gone to gigs and I've had people come up to me and go, do you want to come backstage and meet the band and it's like, that's not going to go well, I might think the show's shit and I'm here to write right. about the show yeah. I, I just want to do yeah. my job and, I, and backstage is horrible, usually mm. you know, it's full of dorks who are, you know, moisty palmed mouth breathers who just want the band to spit on them or something. And I'm not, I'm not one of those people. I'm actually not. I'm a giant music nerd, but I'm not a, a creep. And, um, and, and so I don't really want to be backstage. If I, if I know the artist, Paul Yubana Jones, I consider a friend. I love going and seeing him play. I think he's one of the world's greatest musicians, and he's sadly under 
rated and recognised in New Zealand, I will go and have a drink with him at his show yep. if he asks me to. But I consider him a friend. I've been yeah. driving around the country to see him for 15 years. And and local legends, Jacob, you know, yep. when they come to well, I come and see them here most years. And when they come to Wellington, I will go backstage and wish them luck. I think they're one of the best bands in the world. They don't need me to wish them luck. But I want to go and say hi to them. But that's a friendship thing. Yep. And it's not a good idea to be a music reviewer and have too many friends as musicians. It happens. But if you want to, do, if you want to detach yourself from the subject and write what you think about things, that's what I've done. But I'll tell you quickly my sad backstage story last year. Uh, like Nick, I've, I've been really lucky to... And, and Katie, my wife, reminded me of this just recently. said, you know, you've actually been lucky to meet quite a few of you here actually now meet heroes on uh, Tuesday I think it was of this week I interviewed Steve Gadd or co-interviewed Steve Gadd with Jesse Mulligan on Radio New Zealand now I just naively thought that Steve Gadd would be in Auckland studio and I would be on a phone line and I thought that's going to be a bit weird I you know I sort of play drums as I alluded so I figured that's why Jesse got me in but actually I found out about an hour before I did the interview that Steve was going to be in Wellington so I met this guy who you know, Christ, he played on Steely Dan's Asia and all the Paul yeah. Simon records, and I've been listening really to him since young. I was three, and yeah. next thing he shakes my hand and goes, man, you're wearing shorts. That's what he's been blown away by. <laughs> by. He's like, you're the first person in New Zealand that, uh, that uh, I've seen wearing shorts. And then when I drove up to Palmerston to see him play the next night, I, I locked the car and I walked across the road, and the first person I see is Steve Gadd, and I'm in Jandals, and he goes, you're wearing flip-flops now? <laughs> but uh, last, year, I, last year I got an email from someone claiming to be Patti Smith, and I just thought, sure, I'm going to believe that's Patti Smith, and I googled it, and it was a New York email address, and she had sent me this thing saying, someone in my band read out an article you wrote about us and I'm really honoured by that we won't because I'd said someone should bring her to New Zealand she said we won't be able to make it to New Zealand this time but if you find yourself in Australia I'd love to give you tickets to my show and I just decided Whoa. to believe this but as I wrote back I was like am I you know is this a catfish thing is, yeah, yeah. is this is this Robbie Williams you know like is this, is this how he is this how he gets me you know and I did think that but I was like it's really you know I'm actually not that cynical I'll try not to be it's good to believe people so I wrote back and said that would be amazing and then I'm like how do I ask Patty Smith for two tickets not one <laughs> you know <laughs> so we had a few emails and every time I was like is this really her and she had said this is my personal email address feel free to so long 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 story short we asked for two tickets to Melbourne I'd never been to Melbourne we go to Melbourne last Easter to see Patty Smith do horses in its entirety the communication breaks down a few days before the show and we're like oh well, fuck it we're in Melbourne having a good time anyway I went and met Phil Judd and did a podcast with him, so that was worth the trip alone. Um, and then on the day of the thing, we get a message from the tour manager saying, oh, because she had said, you can probably interview me as well, if you like. And it's like, oh, yes, please. And you can also interview Lenny Kay, the guitarist. And it's like, yes, please. And uh, then she got a sore throat and she struggled with some of the things. So I was like, oh, an interview is going to be off the table. I'm just going to go and enjoy the show. We turn up to the show. We have these amazing seats in the small theatre. We're blown away by the show. And we've got these geeky backstage passes that we have to wear. And I'm kind of dreading that. And then we get herded into the backstage area with all these jerk-off Melbournian ex-junkie types, rock and roll <laughs> tragics, and uh, we're just sitting there like spare pricks at a wedding going, oh, this is awkward, and then Lenny Kay comes out and he's very nice and he talks to a few people, and we're kind of thinking like, we can't, we can't really just go up and go, oh, Patti Smith wants to say hello to me, 
<laughs> how, do you, how do you frame that? So we're just sort of sitting there and I'm going, fuck, we just need to leave. We just need to leave. And then Patty Smith's assistant comes out. She's got hair down to about here. She's been rocking at the side of stage the whole time. She kind of keeps Patty's energy up. And someone nervously says, oh, so is Patty Smith going to come out and see us? And her assistant goes, are you kidding? Patty Smith's old. She's like 70. She's gone home. She's gone to bed. And so we're like, right, we're off. And we start walk, try to walk back the way we came. And they're like, ah, you two, you two, come back. So we get herded back with these idiots. And they're all off to see Lenny Kay do a DJ set. And we do not want to go to that. And we're, that, we're all going to be paraded in. So we end up sneaking off. Fine. We get away and we just go, look, we just saw an amazing show. We got free tickets from Patty Smith to see Patty Smith do an amazing show. That's for me. You know, I'm used to hate mail. That's about, for me, as good as it gets. Absolutely. So I'm driving to the, I'm getting a taxi to the airport the next day. Katie's staying there for work. I'm on my own. I thought I'd, I'll check my messages one more time. I'm about 10 minutes from the Melbourne airport. I have to get home to pick up my son. My in-laws who are looking after him are about to fly off to Aussie the next morning. So I have to go back. I get this email that says, Hi, Simon, from Patty Smith. Hi, Simon. I hope you enjoyed the show. I waited round for about 10 minutes last night to meet you, but uh, I had to go home because I figured you weren't there. If you're still in town, we could have lunch later in the week, or, or uh, I could give you tickets to the show tonight. Let me know how many you want, because she was doing four nights. So I got into the airport, checked my bag, sat in the McDonald's, got the Wi-Fi, and wrote the saddest fucking email I have ever written. Oh, Patty, I'm off to, you know, thank you for your show. It was amazing. I'm off to look after my son. So, yeah. It was kind of fun. Sorry. Great story to end it all with. Thank you so very, very much, Nick and Simon. Come from Gary